First hour, we're going to go back to the Senate, listen into uh, what's going on as far as the questioning of the uh, uh, folks that are the head of. You can listen. I'm listening. I'm watching myself on on my phone. But the bottom line is that uh, we're going to hear what the managers have to say from the House, and we're going to see what the uh, president's defense team have to say from uh, these questions. We'll do uh, about an hour of that. Then after that, J.R. Davis will join me at 2 at uh, or at 3 at 3 o'clock 2. Uh, Reggie Cowan's going to be on because they've got uh, a candidate forum coming up I want to tell you about down in Garland County. I'll be there. I'm going to be part of the uh, the group that's going to be questioning the, the uh candidates and the judges that are going to be there and then uh, in the four o'clock hour robert steinbach is going to be here and and we're going to talk hopefully tomorrow will be the end of all this about the impeachment they'll have to vote on whether they're going to do witnesses right now all of the articles that i've read and uh, what i've heard from schumer even the minority leader in the senate is that the votes are not there to call witnesses that would tell me that hopefully tomorrow afternoon we'll have the vote on uh, whether to uh, impeach or uh, to uh, acquit the president. Of course, I believe it would be an acquittal. In fact, I'm hearing three to five Democrats may vote along with the majority Republicans. So all of that is uh, before us for the end of the week. But right now, let's head to Washington, D.C., and to the well of the Senate. Remain transparent and accountable. How will this affect the separation of powers? And in this context, could you address the president's counsel's claim that the president's advisors are entitled to the same protections as a whistleblower? Privileges are limited. We have voted to impeach the president for, among other things, Article 2 of the impeachment is total defiance of House subpoenas. And the President announced in advance, I will defy all the subpoenas. What does this mean? It means there is no information to Congress. It means a claim of monarchical dictatorial power. If Congress has no information, it cannot act. If the President can defy, now, he can dispute certain specific uh, uh, claims. You can claim privilege, etc. But to defy categorically all subpoenas, to announce in advance you're going to do that, and to do it is to say that Congress has no power at all, only the executive has power. That's why Article 2 is impeaching him for abuse of Congress. That's why, for much lesser degree of offense, Richard Nixon was, was impeached for abuse of Congress, for the same uh, um, defiance of any attempt to, uh, by the Congress to investigate. But this is, and what are the consequences? The consequences, if this is to be, um, um, if he's to get away with it, is that any subpoena you vote in the future, any information you want in the future from any future president may be denied you. 
with no excuses, announce in advance, I'll defy all the subpoenas. It eviscerates Congress and establishes the department, the executive department, as a total dictatorship. That's the consequences. Now, I want to also talk about, and the motives, the motives are clearly dictatorial. But I want to also take a point, since I have the floor, to answer a question, to comment on a question that Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski asked yesterday. And they asked about the question of mixed motives. What if, how do you define, how do you deal with a, with, with a, with a deed, with a president who may have a corrupt motive and a fine motive? And how do you deal with it? And Professor Dershowitz said, well, you have to look at the, uh, you have to mix, you have to weigh the balances. Nonsense. Nonsense. We never, in American law, look at decent motives if you can prove a corrupt motive. If I am offered a bribe, and I accept the bribe for corrupt motive, I will not be heard in defense to say, oh, I would have voted for the bill anyway. It was a good bill. You don't inquire into other motives. Maybe you had good motives. But once the corrupt motive and the corrupt act was established, there is no comparison. All of this is just nonsense to point away from the fact that the president has been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, and the defenders don't even bother really to defend. They just come out with distractions. He's been proven beyond a reasonable to have abused his power by violating the law to withhold military aid from a foreign country to extort that country into helping his re-election campaign by slandering his opponent. Corrupt? No question. Violation of the law? No question. Factually? No question. They don't even make a real attempt to, to deny it. Everything is a distraction. And the one chief distraction is once you prove a corrupt act, that's it. You never measure uh, the degree of maybe had decent motives, too. So Professor Dershowitz, in talking about that, in talking about uh, the absolute power of the presidency, was just uh, absent from American law or any kind of Western law. Thank you, Mr. Manager. Mr. Chief Justice. The Senator from Georgia. I send a question to the desk for the President's counsel on behalf of myself, Senator Ernst, and Senator Barrasso. Thank you. The question from Senator Perdue, Ernst, and Barrasso uh, for counsel for the President is as follows. Please summarize the House of Representatives' three-stage investigation and how the President was denied due process in each stage. Combined with Manager Schiff's repeated leaks during the House's investigation, do these due process violations make this impeachment the fruit of the poisonous tree? Mr. Chief Justice, Senators, thank you for that question. And the, the short answer, as I think I've indicated a couple of the times that I've been up here, is yes. This entire proceeding here is now the fruit of the poisonous tree. It is the fruit of a proceeding that was fatally deficient in due process from the start to the beginning. And as a result of that, it produced a record that is totally unreliable, can't be relied on here for any conclusion other than acquitting the president. And let me detail the three phases. First, first error was that the House began the proceeding in a totally unconstitutional 
unlawful and illegitimate manner. It started an impeachment inquiry without any vote of the House to authorize that inquiry. And I want to spend a second on this because the House managers have spent a lot of time today trying to go back and argue about why their proceeding was all right. But they're not actually engaging the real issues. In order for the House to exercise the power of impeachment, there has to be a delegation of that authority to a committee. That's just a fundamental principle that the Constitution gives power to the House itself, not to individual members of the House, not to the Speaker. Just as here in the Senate, you wouldn't think that the majority leader could say, if an impeachment arrived, the majority leader could say, guess what, we're not going to do a trial with the whole Senate. I, the majority leader, am going to just decide that I'm going to have one committee, hear the evidence, provide a summary, and then you all can vote. The majority leader doesn't have the authority on his own to do that. The Speaker doesn't have the authority in the House to give the power of impeachment to any committee to start pursuing an inquiry. And this is the key. There is no rule giving any committee in the House the authority to use the power of impeachment. Rule 10 speaks of legislative authority, not the power of impeachment. And all the subpoenas that were issued came with letters saying on them, pursuant to the House's impeachment inquiry, they purported to be using a power that hadn't actually been delegated to the committee. That's the first flaw. Illegitimate, unlawful proceeding from the start. Then there are the due process flaws. Three stages of hearings. One, secret hearings in the basement bunker. Presidents locked out. No opportunity to cross-examine witnesses, to see the evidence, to present evidence. And then they go from that to the public hearings, what's really just a public show trial, because the president is still cut out, totally unprecedented in any presidential impeachment, that there would be that second phase of public hearings where the president is still cut out, can't present evidence. The minority members don't have equal subpoena authority. The third phase in front of the House Judiciary Committee they purport to have offered rights, but I've explained that. It was illusory because they had already decided before the president was, Haven was supposed to respond with what rights he would like to exercise, the speaker had announced the result. There were going to be articles of impeachment. The Judiciary Committee had decided they weren't going to hear from any fact witnesses. They had no plans for hearings. It was all a foregone conclusion because they had to get it done by Christmas. And the third error, the Chairman Schiff was in charge of all the fact-finding. And he had an interest, because of the interactions of his office with the whistleblower that we still don't know about, to shut down questioning about the motive, the bias, the, the reasons that the whistleblower, how this all came about. All three of those errors infected this process from the very beginning. They resulted in a one-sided, slanted fact-finding that was rushed by a person controlling the fact-finding who had a motive to limit what facts would be allowed to get into the proceedings. And it produced a record that cannot possibly be relied on here. We've said many times, the Supreme Court has made clear that cross-examination is the greatest legal engine ever invented for the discovery of truth, and they didn't permit the President the opportunity to cross-examine anyone. And that's an indication that the goal was not a search for the truth. It was a partisan charade intended to justify a preordained result and to get it done by Christmas. And it's not a record that can be relied on here. Thank you. Thank you, counsel.
Mr. Chief Justice. The Senator from Illinois. I send a question to the desk for the House Managers. Thank you. The question from Senator Duckworth for the House Managers. If the hold on aid to Ukraine was meant to be kept secret until the President could gather internal U.S. government information on Ukraine corruption and European cost-sharing, then is there any documentary evidence of this? For example, is there any evidence that the President was briefed on those issues by the NSC, DOD, or State Department during the period of the hold in the summer of 2019, or any evidence that he requested specific information on anti-corruption reform measures in Ukraine. Prior to releasing the aid on September 11, 2019, did the President order any changes to administration policy to address corruption in Ukraine or burden-sharing with our European allies? Chief Justice, uh, thank you, uh, Senator, for that question. Let's just take a, a moment and um, address what the process should have looked like. Uh, because, you know, as we've already established and as President's Council has conceded and we've conceded, is this does happen. Right? There is a legitimate policy process for review and for a determination on hold because there is indeed legitimate policy reasons to hold aid. Uh, and we've never said that corruption is not one of those or burden sharing wouldn't be one of those. What we're saying is, is there's no evidence that in what we are talking about today that the president was concerned or engaged that process. So what would normally happen is Congress would come together, as we did. We passed appropriations bills, and we made a determination that funding was appropriate for the aid, which 87 members of the Senate did uh, this past year. The president would then rely on the advice of government experts from the National Security Council, the Department of Defense, the State Department, and the Office of Management and Budget regarding that aid. That's the, the, the interagency process that we've talked so much about, the interagency process that we went through earlier last year, and at the conclusion of that interagency process, it was determined that it had met all of the conditions for the aid, and all the agencies determined that it should go forward. The president would then seek permission from Congress that he intended to, uh, would normally, if there was a reason, the president would go back and seek permission from Congress to hold the aid. So let me repeat that. If there were a reason to hold it, the president and President Trump has done this in the past under legitimate processes, as has President Obama and prior presidents, would go back to Congress under pre-described uh, processes and make sure that they're not violating the Empowerment Control Act and seek permission to hold it. That did not happen. Congress would then weigh in on the request by either approving or denying the president's request. And then unless Congress specifically approves the president's request, the aid must be made available. Of course, none of that happened. In this instance, a hold was put in place. We don't know exactly when because the president and his agencies have prevented us and his counsel have prevented us from getting that information, but a hold was put in place. No reason was given. And in fact, the only one within the United States government who apparently knows why that hold was put into place is President's counsel, who tried to tell us last night why he thinks the hold was put into place, but nobody else knows. So, yes, the answer is, if there was a legitimate policy process put in place, there will be a lot 
of information about burden sharing, about corruption, about any of the other concerns to which we have no evidence. And if burden sharing, to the last point of the question, was a concern, then the person who should have been asked to discuss those concerns with the EU and our European partners would have been Ambassador Sondland, because he is the United States ambassador to the European Union. And not once did President Trump go to Ambassador Sondland and say, discuss these issues with the EU and the Europeans, saying they need to provide more money. Not once did that happen. And it didn't happen because it wasn't the real concern. All of the evidence shows the president withheld taxpayer money, foreign aid to our partner at war to coerce them to start a political investigation to benefit his 2020 election campaign. That is what the evidence shows, and that's why we are still here. And there is one person that can provide additional information on that, and that is Ambassador Bolton. And yes, it is still a good time to subpoena Ambassador Bolton. Thank you, Mr. Manager. Mr. Chief Justice. The Senator from Maine. I send a question to the desk on behalf of myself and Senators Crapo, Brunt, Blunt, and Rubio. Thank you. The question from Senator Collins and the other senators for both parties, are there legitimate circumstances under which a president could request a foreign country to investigate a U.S. citizen, including a political rival, who is not under investigation by the U.S. government? If so, what are they and how do they apply to the present case? The House goes first. Mr. Chief Justice, uh, Senator, it would be hard for me to contemplate circumstances where that would be appropriate, where it would be appropriate for the President of the United States to seek a political investigation of an opponent. One of the, I think, most important post-Watergate reforms was to divorce decisions about specific cases, specific prosecutions, from the White House to the Justice Department to build a wall. One of the many norms that has broken down in this presidency is that wall has been obliterated, where the president has affirmatively and aggressively sought to investigate his rivals. I cannot conceive of circumstances where that is appropriate. Um, it may be appropriate for the Justice Department, acting independently and in good faith, to initiate investigation. There's a process for doing that. We heard testimony about that. You can make requests under the Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty, the MLAT process, when a foreign country has evidence involving a criminal case involving a U.S. person. There is a legitimate way to, to do that. That didn't happen here. In fact, when Bill Barr's name was first revealed when that transcript was brought to light, the Justice Department immediately said, we have nothing to do with this. We have nothing to do with this. Um, here, this particular domestic political errand was being done by the President's personal lawyer. Um, I wanted to just follow up also, while I can, Senator, on my colleagues' comments in terms of mixed motives. If you conclude the President acted with mixed motives, some of them corrupt and forbidden, some of them legitimate, you should vote to convict. That principle is deeply rooted in our legal tradition. It is commonplace in civil and criminal law going back centuries. For example, in describing the standard for corrupt motive for obstruction, the Seventh Circuit rejected any requirement that a defendant's only or even main purpose 
was to obstruct the due administration of justice. Instead, the court explained, a defendant is guilty if his motives included any corrupt, forbidden goals. That case, the United States v. Cueto, which I cited earlier, is not only relevant here, but that case was argued by Professor Dershowitz, and he lost. He made the argument he's made and the president's lawyers have made today. They lost that case, and for a good reason. It's contrary to the history of our legal traditions. If someone, uh, and this is the, the founders were concerned, for example, that a president might be charged with bribing members of the Electoral College. Mr. Chief Justice, Senators, thank you for that question. Um, I, I'd like to start by pointing out that the question sort of assumes that there is a request for an investigation in a foreign country of a United States person. I'd just like to bring it back, though, here to the transcript of the July 25th call, where President Trump didn't ask President Zelensky specifically for an investigation or an investigation into Vice President Biden or his son Hunter. I mean, there's a lot of loose talk in sort of shorthand reference to it that way. But what he refers to is the incident in which the prosecutor was fired. And the first thing that he says in that whole exchange is talking about the prosecutor being fired. And it's, he says it sounds horrible to him. And the situation with Burisma. And so, and all that the, the president says is, so if you can look into it, it sounds horrible. It sounds like a bad situation. That's not calling for an investigation necessarily into Vice President Biden or his son, but the situation in which the prosecutor had been fired, which affected anti-corruption efforts in the Ukraine. And President Zelensky responded by saying, the issue of the investigation of the case is actually the issue of making sure to restore the honesty. So we will take care of that. And he's explaining that he understands that it's an issue that has to do with was an investigation there, over there, that their prosecutor was handling, derailed in a way that affected their anti-corruption efforts, and it's something worth looking into. It's the president making clear that we're not saying that's off limits. It sounds bad to the U.S. as well. But let me get more specifically to the question, is there any situation where it might be legitimate to ask for an investigation overseas? Yes, if there was a conduct by a U.S. person overseas that potentially violated uh, the law of that country but didn't violate the law of this country, but there was a national interest in having some information about that and understanding what went on, then it would be perfectly legitimate to suggest this is something worth looking into. We have an interest in knowing about this, even if it's not something that would mean a criminal investigation here in the United States. And so that could arise in various circumstances where a person had done something overseas, but there was a national interest in understanding what they had done. Thank you. The Democratic leader is recognized. Mr. Chief Justice, I send the question to the desk for the President's counsel and the House managers. Thank you. The Democratic leader's question is this. Yesterday, I asked the President's counsel about the President's claim of absolute immunity. Specifically, I asked the President's lawyers to name a single document or witness that the President turned over to the House impeachment inquiry in response to their request or subpoena. Mr. Philbin spoke for five minutes and talked about the various types of immunities and privileges the president could invoke, but did not answer my question. 
So I ask once again, can you name a single witness or document that the President turned over to the House impeachment inquiry? It is directed to both parties, and President's counsel goes first. Mr. Chief Justice, Minority Leader Schumer, thank you for that question. I apologize if I was not direct in getting to the nub of the question yesterday. Um, I was intending to explain the, the rationales that the administration had provided for its actions and to explain, contrary to the question, that it was not simply absolute defiance and not simply a blanket assertion that we won't do anything. That's the way the House managers have tried to characterize it. But so let me be clear. There were document subpoenas issued prior to uh, the adoption of House Resolution 660. The President explained, the administration explained in various letters, all of those were invalid, and there were no documents produced in response. There were no documents produced in response because all of those subpoenas were invalid. There was no attempt to reissue those subpoenas or to retroactively attempt to authorize them. There were then um, subpoenas for witnesses who were senior advisors to the President. The President advised the, the committees that had issued those that those senior advisors had absolute immunity and they were not produced for testimony. Those three senior advisors were not produced. There were then witness, uh, subpoenas for witnesses to others who the House managers, the House Democrats insisted they would be required to testify without the benefit of agency counsel. And I've explained that principle. The Office of Legal Counsel advised that those um, subpoenas attempting to require executive branch officials to testify without the benefit of agency counsel were unconstitutional, and so those witnesses were not produced. Still, there were 17 witnesses who testified, not including the 18th witness, the ICIG, whose testimony is still secret. So there was quite a bit of testimony, and there have been um, subsequently some documents relevant to this produced under FOIA. And I just want to raise that because it makes clear that if you follow the law, and you follow the rules, and you make a document request that's valid, documents get produced. If you don't follow the law, the administration resisted. That's why the documents weren't produced, because the subpoenas were invalid, and we made that very clear. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Not a single document was turned over. Not a single witness was produced. And the witnesses that did come came in defiance of the orders of the president. Now, counsel has obviously made all these claims that we think are completely spurious. But what they don't answer is, what was the motivation to fight all the subpoenas? They argue this interpretation which the courts have rejected, that have looked at it, that somehow these subpoenas were invalid. But why didn't they produce the documents? Why did they insist on this now discredited by the court's legal theory? Because they were covering up the president's misconduct. Um, now, I want to return briefly uh, uh, to finish uh, the comments I was making earlier about the Senator's question earlier on mixed motives. There's a good reason why mixed motives are no defense. Otherwise, officials who committed misconduct could always claim that even if they did it, that even if it was corrupt, they must be acquitted because they were able to invent some phony motivation and insist it played some minor role in their scheme. Imagine how that principle would apply to a president charged with bribing members of the Electoral College. Multiple framers cited a specific threat while discussing impeachment at the Constitutional Convention. 
Could a president defend himself on the ground that he was motivated in part by a noble desire to reward members of the Electoral College for their public service? Could he defend it on the ground that even as he handed over the bribes, he wasn't just acting corruptly, but he was also seeking to advance the public interest by keeping himself in power? According to the president's lawyers, yes, he could. Indeed, for all the reasons we provided, there's no doubt that the president's quid pro quo is solicitation of foreign interference and his use of official acts to compel that interference were a fundamentally corrupt scheme, by which I mean the motive and intent was to benefit himself, to obtain personal political gain while ignoring and injuring core national interests in our democracy and our security. We have de demonstrated, we believe, that the scheme was entirely corrupt. But if you have any question about that, ask John Bolton. If there's any question about whether the motive was mixed or not mixed, ask John Bolton. Uh, he has relevant testimony. You can ask also Mick Mulvaney. You can subpoena the documents and answer the earlier questions. What do the documents say about when the president withheld the aid, whether there was any interagency discussion of reforms in the RADA. I mean, the President's counsel literally made the argument that the circumstance that changed was a change in the RADA. There is no evidence to support that idea. Time is expired. The Majority Leader is recognized. Mr. Justice, uh, <clears throat> I ask that we stand in recess until 4. Without objection, so ordered. All right, so they're in uh, in uh, recess now. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll come back. We'll join Fox, see what the talking heads are saying now, right now. All right, Bill Hemmer is on Fox right now talking to different politicians about what's going on uh, here in President Trump's impeachment trial. This should all be over by tomorrow, just so you'll know. Uh they're not coming back for more questions for about another 15 minutes. Uh, let's finish up this hour by listening to what the uh, uh, politicals are saying right now. Uh, and I think that in, in the end, Republicans would be glad uh, if they chose to go down that road. Okay, well, watch that. Greg, thank you for your input thank on you. that. Stand by. I want to bring an independent senator from who caucuses with the Democrats, Angus King out of Maine. Senator, good afternoon to you, and thank you for your time. And um, yeah. Any minds being changed today, Senator, or is it? Status quo. <laughs> I don't know. I, I look, I sit uh, and look straight across at uh, a lot of my friends on the Republican side. I see some nodding on various points, but uh, I don't think I can argue that I'm seeing any minds being changed. Although Susan Collins asked an interesting question right at the end about uh, it, can you think of a legitimate op a place where a president would ask a foreign country to, enter, uh, to uh, uh, investigate an American citizen when no such investigation had started here? I thought that. That was a, an interesting question from her since she's, you know, I think one of the people that's really uh, thinking hard about this. We are on this question of witnesses. I don't know what your feeling about that is, but I think you favor them quite clearly. What's the effect of no witnesses, do you think? It's late January. You're moving into an election year. Uh, America's going to vote in nine and a half plus months. What do you think about that, Senator? Well, I think that I think the question about witnesses is an important one because I, I from frankly, from the president's point of view, if if this trial winds up in the next 24, 48 hours with no witnesses, uh, he, can, he can say, well, I was acquitted, but he really can't say he was exonerated. I think there'll always be, a, always be an asterisk 
by this, you know, trial, but no witnesses. I mean, one of the senators last night said, you know, we had a we had a judge impeachment uh, about 10 years ago. There were 22 witnesses, and we're having no witnesses in the Senate. It's never happened before, and the American people what, understand. What, what, they watch Perry Mason and Law and Order. You always have witnesses. Uh, just to push it a little further, I'm trying to sure. figure out what the effect is on the American people. That's hard to gauge today, I believe. I think it is. And, and listen, I opposed impeachment for the last two and a half years. I, I publicly said I think it would be a bad idea for a lot of the reasons that the White House counsel said last night, dividing the country, uh, inflaming passions, let the election decide it. That was before this whole Ukraine thing came up. And the problem with the Ukraine business is that it was, it appears anyway, that it was the president's effort to uh, affect the upcoming election. And so the, the question is, is the election a check if the election itself is in play uh, from the point of view of, uh, uh, of the okay. president's own okay. actions? That's um, the question. Uh, last point here. Did you have a problem with Chief Roberts not asking or posing the question that was filed by Senator Rand Paul? I don't know what the question was, so I, I, I don't know. But I, I have a great deal of respect for Justice Roberts. And uh, it was clear he took it seriously, and so I, I mean, I think as the manager said last night, uh, they're willing to allow Justice Roberts to make a lot of these decisions on privilege and those kinds of things, uh, having confidence in his uh, in his judgment. So I guess I, you know, I can't really say what the basis of it was, but okay. uh, I think he's based a serious on, guy. I yeah, respect. Based him. on some of the reporting, it was the same question he filed last night. Last point here. Um, You've got another six hours ahead of you. I think you'll wrap around 10 or 11 o'clock tonight. Right. What's the sense among your caucus, sir, when you talk to them outside the chamber? Well, I think, uh, you know, everybody's tired. I mean, this is the, I don't know, the fifth day in a row of, of we're, you know, we all have, all have day jobs in the morning. I mean, we're all having meetings and hearings. I had a hearing at Armed Services this morning. And then to go uh, until last night, it was after 11. Uh, I, I think people are tired. But I got to tell you, I have found this question and answer period the last two days really interesting. And I've learned a lot. I'm making a lot of notes. I think it's a useful process. So, you know, and, and look, this is a really important decision. And the fact that we're having to stay up a little late at night and work a long day, a lot of Americans do that. I think we can handle it. Thank you, Senator. Good to have you on today. Angus King, thank you, sir, from Maine. Uh, his reflections there. In a moment here, we'll talk with Republican Senator Pat Toomey. He's on deck when our coverage continues. Quick break here. Back after this. One in three deaths is caused by cardiovascular disease. Millions of patients are treated with statins, but up to 75% persistent cardiovascular risk still remains. Many have turned to fish oil supplements, others phenofibrates or niacin. But here's a number you should take to heart. All right, Fox has gone into a break. We'll uh, take a little break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me bring you up to date on what's going to be happening uh, for the rest of today here on the show. We will start uh, in 3 o'clock with J.R. Davis. He and I will sit here and talk politics, uh, basically local politics today. Uh, we'll be hearing from Reggie Cowan from down in uh, Garland County. They're going to have a uh, uh, political meeting tomorrow, or pardon me, Saturday, which I will be part of. I'll be there with Paul Harrell and Glenn uh, Gallus will be the questioner, so to speak, uh, asking uh, judges, uh, people running for being judges, people running for other uh, 
be state senators and things of that nature. We'll be asking them questions. About 10 minutes per person that's going to be there. We look forward to doing that. Hope that you'll uh, attend. Let me look here, see if I can find real quickly, uh, give you the information that you need here. I'm going to wait till my phone loads up and ready to share the information with me. Reggie sent it to me today. And uh, I hope that uh, if you're in that area that you'll be sure that you come. This is uh, the Arkansas Liberty Coalition. Uh, They're inviting you to attend their candidate forum, which is happening Saturday at 1 in the afternoon at 315 Park Avenue in Hot Springs at the, uh, looks to me, the the Vapors is what it's called. Uh, It's going to be at the Vapors. Candidates are going to be there for the following positions, expected to participate, and we're looking... uh, we're looking at State Supreme Court Associate Justice Position 4, Court of Appeals Associate Judge District 4, Position 2, State District Court District 41, Department 2, the Circuit Judge District 18 East Division 2, and uh, to finish up on Judges, uh, Circuit Judge District 18 East Division 1. Also, the State Senate uh, District 13, and State Representative uh, District 22. Now, I do know that State Senate District 13, that is Alan Clark, State Senator Alan Clark, and uh, I know that he's going to be there. The Master of Ceremonies is going to be Tom Wilkins. He'll be there, and then the uh, what they're calling the All-Star Panel. I don't consider myself an All-Star, but that's what they call it. Uh, it'll be myself. Glenn Gallus, who's the co-founder of the Garland County Tea Party, former 4th District Congressional candidate, and then Paul Harrell will be there as well, uh, who has been covering Arkansas politics from a constitutional and limited government perspective since about 2009. Uh, I'm good friends with both of those gentlemen that are going to be on the panel with me. I'm looking forward to seeing Glenn Gallus have it. I think in about two years. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. Paul Harrell, I've been in contact with him here in the last few weeks. Uh, but the bottom line is we'll, we'll have the questions that we think that you'll want answers to in all of those different uh, positions. As I look here, let's see again. This is going to be the Arkansas Liberty Coalition Candidate Forum Saturday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon at Vapors at 315 Park Avenue, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and uh, I'll be there uh, to do my small part in that. All right, back to Fox, see what else they have for us. Trade deal that was signed at the White House. Coverage on that a bit later with Neil Cavuto. In the meantime, I'm going to bring in the Republican Senator Pat Toomey out of Pennsylvania. Senator, thank you for your time. We, we got a couple moments here. I think yesterday you said you were very, very skeptical of witnesses. Uh, anything changed, or are you a no when it comes to that vote, uh, Senator? Yeah, it has changed, uh, and it's changed to the point where I'm absolutely certain that we don't need witnesses. We don't need to drag this out any longer. We should move as quickly as we can to get this thing over with, get it behind us. How long have you felt that way, Senator? How many days? Well, increasingly it's become clear to me this question and answer um, period was initially reasonably productive and useful. Now it's become very, very repetitive. Uh, This is a very, very partisan attempt to discredit the president. 
in an election year. Uh, the, the real danger here is the House managers and the House has established a very, very low bar for removing a president from office. And that's a dangerous thing for the country. It guarantees that impeachment becomes a weaponized political tool. Very bad idea. We should reject these articles and be done with this. If you're right, then you likely will have a vote on that tomorrow. Where are the votes today, do you believe? I'm not sure. I think it's quite close. Uh, but I think tomorrow the vote will be on whether or not to prolong this, to delay this, drag this out, and bring in who knows uh, how many or which witnesses. I hope that we will agree not to do that. I think it's very close. I think we have a good chance that we'll be able to prevail with that. And then uh, I think our Democratic uh, colleagues could drag this out for a bit, but uh, it won't be terribly long uh, how, how before would we vote on uh, final uh, verdict. Uh, so just, pardon for the interruption. Senators Collins, Murkowski, Romney, where are they now? Have you spoken to them? I, I, I've not directly spoken with them since the Q&A uh, mm -hmm. began, so I'm not sure where they are as of the, now. The reason I ask that, if you lose three, you're at 50-50. If you right. thought about that possibility. We have, of course, I have. Uh, as you know, this is constructed as a motion that would allow for witnesses. If it goes at 50-50 under the rules of the Senate, that, that fails on a tie vote. So it would fail, and that means witnesses would not be allowed, yeah. and we'd be able to proceed to a verdict. And that verdict in all likelihood would be an acquittal because you're not going to get the 67 votes There's in either no article. Question. agree on that. I, the, I however, actually, however, I just... If, if it's a 50-50 even split, how is that perceived by the American public, do you think? How do they take that? Uh, you know, look, I think the, the, the important thing to focus on here is what is the role of a witness? What's the purpose of a witness? The purpose of a witness in a trial is not to just tell an interesting story. The purpose of a witness is to shed light on an important fact to provide resolution to an issue that's in dispute, the resolution of which could determine the outcome. For me, the House has presented articles of impeachment that do not rise to impeachable offenses. They've alleged actions that you cannot impeach a president for. This idea of obstruction of Congress because the president invoked the constitutional rights that every president has and almost all of them have invoked, that's ridiculous and it's dangerous. And similarly on the first article. So for me, you know, even if someone believes that everything John Bolton says is going to confirm what's charged in these articles, it's still not impeachable. Uh, we're coming up on the four o'clock hour. Just one more question, sir. If yeah. you're right, you get a 50-50 and this trial on, comes to a rapid witnesses. close on, on witnesses, correct. Um, are you done by Friday night or what would the so time think, frame I, be? I, I think it could. First of all, I'm not predicting that. Uh, you, you, you were positing that scenario and I was just okay. explaining what happens if it's 50-50. I think final resolution occurs on the Saturday or Monday, and I think a lot depends on what is the will of other senators. Do they want to get to a final vote quickly, or do they want to drag it out for the day or two? But if there are not witnesses, it doesn't extend way okay. into next week. Senator, thank you for your time. Pat Toomey, the Republican from Pennsylvania. Thank you, sir. We'll let you Thanks, get back inside the chamber. Thank you. Back with Brett Baer and Josh Holmes, Greg Nunziata, and Richard Fallon, the four minutes we have. Let's see how much we can get done here, fellas, in the next four minutes before we hand it off to Neil Cavuto. Uh, he was somewhat... I would say, Brett, convicted um, or felt conviction toward the possibility that this was going to wrap up in a couple of days, clearly, from there.
Now, Bill, I was fascinated by that interview, not because I, the confidence that they think that they're going to have the votes, uh, but also the timing. And you heard Senator mm -hmm. Toomey say that his Democratic colleagues could drag that, this out. By that, I've had a number of conversations with people up on the Hill who know the process, know what's in the rules. If they get this witness vote, let's say it's 50-50, let's say it's 51, yeah. um, and they, they prevent witnesses, the, the effort is going to go right away towards acquittal. But like we saw at the beginning of this trial, Senator Schumer could roll out a ton of amendments on that original resolution and drag this out. And there may be a wish for senators, especially Democratic senators, to weigh in about this move, this acquittal. Uh, and one last thing, there is pressure yes. from some of these Democrats anxious to go to Iowa, like Senator Klobuchar, Warren, and, and very, A lot of moving parts in that. Great point at the end there, Brett. Josh Holmes, do you see that as possible? Even though you, you have an answer on witnesses by Friday night, you're still in the Senate chamber come Monday. Yeah, well, I, look, I think at the end of this, you're going to see a lot of frenzied activity by the, by the Democrats who see the inevitable writing on the wall that this is going to end in exoneration for the president. And, you know, four months of work on an impeachment ultimately falls flat. My bet is that there is bipartisan support uh, for an acquittal here. I, I see zero Republicans that look like they're anywhere near approaching a conviction. And I think there are several Democrats who think, uh, as, as Senator Toomey said, the bar that the House managers have, have set for impeachment of the president of the United States is really dangerous. And, uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bipartisan acquittal, ultimately. Um, you want to put a number on that, Josh? No, <laughs> heavens no. Uh, I, I don't want to put a number on it, but, but I, do think, I do think the outcome is not in doubt. Oh. Greg Nunziata, just have a moment here left. What do you think of that possibility? You know, no, I think that's right. And, and the most interesting thing to, to be and the most to, to, for me to hear and, and uh, for the country to learn is kind of what the basis of the acquittal is. I think the, the White House is on its strongest grounds when it makes that argument that Senator Toomey just uh, agreed with, that, that what we have here is just not serious enough to warrant the removal of a president of the United States. And I, I look All forward right, to We're out of time following up uh, with them. Know that coming up after the news at the top of the hour, J.R. Davis... Uh, we'll be here from the Gilmore Group. We'll be talking to him at uh, 4 o'clock. Robert Steinbach will join us. we got some interesting things to talk about with him. But uh, we'll get some interesting discussion in the next uh, hour about local and state politics here on the Dave Ellswick Show. News is next here at 1011 FM. The Answer, home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. Stay tuned. News is coming up. show typically jr davis had just left but he has just arrived just arrived how are you today man good thanks for uh being flexible oh today that's no me. problem so, that's no, no problem uh reggie cohen will be calling in a moment he'll join us uh, for a little while we're going to talk as i told you about uh the uh the scarland uh, county uh 
kind of meet and greet and questioning period for uh, political and judge candidates uh, down there that, that I'm going to take part in at one o'clock on uh, Saturday. I'm looking forward to doing this because I, I get to get with two of my buddies uh, who's going to be there. Glenn Gallus is going to, do you know Glenn? I have never met Glenn, but okay. I know of Glenn. Glenn yeah. Glenn's a good man. He's the one who started the Garland County Tea Party. Uh, and we're going to have him as part of the panel. And then Paul Harrell is the other person involved in the panel. You know Paul. I know Paul, yeah. What's he, uh, is he announced what he's doing next, or is he just going to uh, take a beat? He hasn't said yet. He's kind of taking a break yeah. right now. So anyway, oh, he's going to be with us. And Tom Wilkins will be the MC. But I know Tom. I'm looking. Yeah. We've got one, two, three, four, five judgeships that we're going to be talking about. And then uh, State Senate District 13, which is Alan Clark. Uh, and I guess whoever is challenging him. And State Representative District 22. And I'm not sure exactly who that will concern. I, I think that's probably Mickey Gates' old seat, isn't it? You said State Senate or State? State Representative, State Representative 22. 22. I is think you Mickey might be Gates? right. Yeah, I think so. Gates. And it seems to me there's like three people that are vying And for there that. was a special and uh, uh, Richard um, McEwen, okay. I believe, was won the special. In there? Okay. But he's on the ballot again. Yeah, because so, they got now they got yeah. to elect a person who's going to be in there for the next two years. Exactly. So, uh, we're going to be uh, talking to all of those. So. Hopefully, we'll hear from Reggie here in just a few moments. He's supposed to be giving us a call, and I'm sure you, you'll you have a good all, full disclosure. Isn't the Gilmore folks uh, representing uh, State Senator Alan Clark? We are. Okay, so yes. you can't ask any questions. I can't ask any questions. That's fine. <laughs> that works. Well, we won't, I won't let you do that, but that's okay. That's funny. Somebody wouldn't let Reggie talk on their show the other day because they said that on their panel they had a, t- a host that was uh in a station that was uh you know up against them and i thought that was kind of funny that's funny <laughs> yeah off off the air i'll tell you who it was right, it was saying i not for me to get into it on the air just to let you know but yeah because i was going to be there they wouldn't let him talk about it that's pretty stupid but then then the person who said that is pretty stupid anyway so what are you seeing now with this whole thing with the um, impeachment? I want to pick up your thoughts on it. I've been I've been following it pretty close, to be honest with you. I go home at night, and I on I had been not turning on the TV to watch anything. So this whole last week, I've been watching Sean, and I've been watching Laura, and seeing what they have. And it's uh, Sean is. Man, he's deep into this thing, big time deep into it. Yeah, yep. yeah. He's been he's been pretty clear. Of course, uh, we knew that he was a Trump supporter. I'm a Trump supporter. Ingram's a Trump supporter. Uh, but I I don't even think you have to be a supporter to understand that what's going on from the Democrats is ridiculous. Uh, they were just talking. I forget who the Republican was. They were talking to just a moment ago. Uh, Toomey, it's Toomey, Pennsylvania. Senator Toomey said that this could have been all wrapped up tomorrow, but he didn't think it would be because he thought that Schumer is going to run a bunch of uh, amendments again that he knows are going to fail. 
but they just want to drag this out. Do they not understand by now that this is this is hurting them? When is the Iowa caucuses? Uh, next uh, Monday. Yeah, this Monday. Yeah, Monday. And I think, you know, I still go back. I keep trying to figure out. That's what bothers me the most is trying to figure out what the strategy is. And in some ways, I think this is a strategy to help Joe Biden uh, because you have some of the ones they know. He's in trouble. He is, but Sanders cannot win the general. Warren cannot win the general. They're being stuck in those seats. That's not fine. Able to go to, Mondale no, couldn't it. win the general, but he got the nomination. Well, and I get it. I don't think that any of them necessarily at this point have sh- have shown. It was kind of what the comments from the CNN talking heads about not being anyone up there that can challenge the president and the general. I believe that. Do you think they want to I, make it a broker convention and so they can force somebody that they a, want there? There's a chance. I, I think this is going to be a very fascinating uh, primary uh, with – uh, all the Democrats, because who knows what will happen when you get to the convention. I do think this is something that, you know, momentum's a big key. Uh, if you force some of these, you know, in my opinion, unelectable candidates, and I think I give some of the Democrats enough credit to know that they realize that in some ways, if you keep them in the Senate and keep them there instead of campaigning in Iowa in person, it's going to hurt them. And uh, and I think their best bet, really, at this point, is probably Joe Biden. And I really believe that. I think Bernie will fire people up, but at the end of the day, his politics are not going to win the states he needs to win. And in general, Elizabeth Warren's the same way. Uh, at this point, I think it's basically Biden or bust for the Democrats, unless they try to do a brokered convention, which very well could happen, depending upon how Biden fares uh, in the next month or so. Do you think so, your wildest dreams... The other day, I played a, a piece, an odd piece of audio. It was a Tuesday. It was on Tuesday, in fact, and it was Hillary Clinton saying, "You know, I feel the call, but I'm going to get behind whoever wins the the primary." That she said that at the beginning, sure, tells me that if it gets brokered, she's there to come and supposedly save the day. Oh, I think that there's. I, I again, we it's easy with the low hanging fruit with the impeachment stuff, the fact that Nancy held it for 28 days, all of these things. It's easy to think, oh, well, the Democrats don't have strategy, they're fumbling around. This very well could be the strategy is to get you know, you know, to to at least prevent these other candidates from getting any sort of momentum. Going no, into they New have Hampshire. momentum. Sanders has got a ton of momentum, right? He does, now. but I think one thing you can certainly, you know. Uh, help with that is preventing him from being in Iowa campaigning. Well, did you see that they've, they're already running? Uh, there's a, a group in the Democratic uh, fold that's running a, a thing about him and saying, do we really want to put a man in there that's had a heart attack? Have you seen that? Well, I've seen Biden's ad. Now, did you see Biden, though, standing up in front of a crowd saying, I want a really strong vice president because I'm an old man? How stupid was yeah. that? yeah. Well, it's Biden. It's gaff prone Biden. I, I do think <laughs> I couldn't believe. He listen, said it. I'm telling you, it's becoming more and more clear for people that are paying attention that the the in 2016 what happened with the DNC, where we saw the emails leaked that they basically set it all up for for Hillary. Uh, they're still doing that, but they're doing it in a more, much more cautious way. Mm. And I think the broker convention is a is a real reality. Uh, especially, look, you've seen these polls, these national polls, and I think even one in New Hampshire, it's like 20%, 19%, 18%, 17% between the top four. You could, I mean, it could realistically, you could have 
three different candidates win the first three states. Uh, and I think Biden's got South Carolina. I think New Hampshire could could go to Buttigieg. Nah, I think that Sanders going or win. Sanders, but it won't be Biden. And I think that Iowa, there's a very good chance it is not Biden. It's someone else. That sets you up pretty well for a brokered convention because Super Tuesday rolls around. How many states do you capture? There's so many different personalities. Wherein in 2016, you saw a lot of sort of the same candidates eating each other, which helped propel Trump to the nomination. This is very different because while there are some similar candidates, they have different platforms. They're pushing different agendas. So, you know, for people paying attention at home, those Hillary Clinton uh, comments are something's there. Something. Yeah, there's there's got to be a reason why I say that. We get you, Reggie Hang, I'm coming, buddy. Uh, I believe Sanders will win Iowa Monday night. I think he'll turn around and win New Hampshire. And from what I'm reading now in the internals, he's going to win California. That I'm just telling you, that puts him in the catbird seat. It's going to put the DNC in a very difficult position. You because do you remember it. in 2016 at the convention, Democrat convention? Uh, it was basically riots in the street with the Bernie people. Uh, and they do not want Bernie to be their nominee. Well, they don't, but boy, I tell you what, I, w- I don't want to fire those people up again. No, no. <laughs> and you also don't want for a second consecutive uh, election cycle for the Democratic Party to step in and basically choose the nominee over what the people have chosen. Yeah, but I think that there's to... a very... It's, I'm telling it's you, more stepping into it. <laughs> hey, stepping into it. But I think there's a lot of Democrats that believe that if they want it back, it can't be Bernie. It can't be Elizabeth Warren. Maybe it's Biden. Maybe it's not. But I think, look, Hillary Clinton's been quiet, but it's not because she's not doing anything. And I truly believe that. And the people, If someone says, you, we can broker this convention to have you as our nominee, she will jump at that Oh, chance. my God, yes. That woman wants to be second. president so bad. It's it's sad to watch her. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, my heart doesn't break for her, but it's it's sad to watch. You can see it in her eyes. I'm well, the one that should be standing. You know, <laughs> I don't know if she's. I, you know, I haven't kept up with it, but I imagine over the last four years, she's probably. I don't know if you can do this, but taking up residence in Wisconsin and Ohio <laughs> and Michigan <laughs> and Pennsylvania. So she may have four houses with four dresses there, but I but, I, but no yeah, I guarantee idea. it. I guarantee it. Just watch. It's going to be interesting. It's like watching a really great television show. Okay, it's yeah, this is this is real reality real TV. All right, let's go talk to Reggie. Reggie is uh, with us. Reggie, how are you, buddy? I'm good, and I got one question first. Yeah, will Hillary have super delegates? No. No. Okay. Hey. Hey Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well, and I'm glad that I can have you on my show and and uh, publicize uh, what's happening there in Garland County because I know a lot of people don't hear us in Garland County, but they'll get the message through Facebook and what whatnot because some local radio stations won't let you be on. <laughs> don't get me in trouble. I won't get you in I, trouble. I, I appreciate you, Dave, and can forgive me the time and. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a big event. We got an all-star panel. You remember the guy that said uh, you can't fix fix things at the White House if you can't fix things in the courthouse. That was Glenn Gallus. That was Glenn Gallus, and he's going to be on the all-star panel along with you and Paul Harrell. Yeah, I can't wait to this see. Is- Glenn and I are really yeah. good friends. He was on my power panel 
uh, back at the beginning of the 2000s and was a real asset on that uh, on that panel. I know. I know. He used to come twice a week, and sometimes when you were off, I came with him. He didn't even know about it, but uh, uh, I was in there feeding him information. I, hey, I took so, him. I took him to CPAC one year. You remember? I know. I know. They they, they haven't recovered from it. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, man. Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to tell everybody that we're having a candidate forum mm-hmm. in Hot Springs, and it's going to be at the Legendary Vapors. I've not been there, so I'm looking forward to it. Are they going to serve it's, food during this? Uh, <laughs> we're going to have some little tidbits, I guess, maybe some coffee and cookies but okay uh, well that's fine we want to we want people to come down there to get you know go to work and, and find out who these mainly we've got five races for judicial candidates and they're going to be there and, you know a lot of times people go to the ballot box and they go in there and they're going to know who trump is and tom cotton they they know the they recognize the names at the top but when they get down there to the judiciary races the who who's uh who's this web and welch person yeah yeah, you know, Chip Welsh they, or uh, yeah. So we're going to have uh, Supreme Court uh, candidates Barbara Webb mm-hmm. and Chip Welch. Yeah, you know it's. Long, I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, they both have to say. Uh, full disclosure: I had lunch on Tuesday uh, with Barbara and talked to her a little bit, and uh, this. And, and people need to understand that the uh, primary coming up here early in March, mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. voting starting February 17th, will be the election for yes. the judges. That's, that's their general. That's, that's exactly it. right. And yeah. so it's important, you know, for people to know who these candidates are. Just because, you know, you've heard the name doesn't mean that they're the best candidate. That's and, true. Uh, here lately we've been... Uh, the Garland County Tea Party has been talking to a lot of the judicial candidates, and it's been very informative. And uh, you have to be careful. You know, elections have consequences. So uh, um, it's going to be at the Vapors okay. on three, uh, Park Avenue, 315 Park Avenue. Starts at 1 o'clock. I'm hoping we're through by uh, 3.30. Yeah. Don't want it to drag out too long. So um, it's just an opportunity to meet the candidates. We'll have a couple of uh, legislative uh, district 22, state district 22, which was Mickey Gates' seat. There's four people uh, running for that position. Okay, four. Is, four Repu- is it four Republicans? There's three, but three Republicans and one Libertarian. Oh, okay. So that's. Uh, That'll be interesting. And uh, we also will have um, State Senate 13. That's Alan Clark and Jeff Crow. All right. And both of those are Republicans. So uh, anyway, it, we're expecting over 100 people. Oh, it's, good. We've advertised it. It's going to be, I think, a big deal. Plus, it's going to be in, in the vapors and Tom Wilkins is going to be the master of ceremonies. He has done a lot of work getting that uh, venue back to as close to uh, the original vapors as as possible. And uh, anyway, it's going to be. Tom does some great work. 
Yeah, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be informative, and, and I'm I'm sure people will. You know, I was in a meeting the other night where uh, people came, and a lot of times they have one opportunity to listen to a candidate, and they came to decide who they're going to vote for. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, you know, this is on a Saturday at one o'clock. Um, I know it's in the middle of the day, but some of those uh, judicial, I think. Some of them have to be somewhere later that evening, so we're gonna we started early so they can get done and go north. But uh, anyway, we're we're looking forward to it. Still trying to, I'm in here trying to get some paperwork done where we can uh, have something to look at and hold in your hand and check maybe who you want to vote for and ask questions. So okay, I'm just uh, appreciate you giving me the time to. Announce it. That's no problem. I'll see you. I'm looking at, forward to seeing y'all three. Now, I'll, I'll see. I'll, I'll see you there at one, buddy. I'll be there before then. Uh, I'm going to leave from uh, doing the car and truck doctors at ten and head on down there, grab something where I can sit down and have a bite to eat, and then I'll be over to the vapors. Let's let's uh, let's let's uh, gather up after it's over with and go somewhere and chat. Well, we I'm can do that. Want to do that? And I'm sure Paul will too. All right, that sounds good. I'll let you go. Appreciate you calling in and giving us all the specifics. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, bye-bye now. Reggie Cowan here on Dave Ellswick's show. 315, uh, he said, I'm trying to think. Of, let me get the information up real quick. Let me go back and remind you exactly where it's going to be at again. It's at 1 o'clock, and it's at 315 Park Avenue in Hot Springs at the Vapors. Starts at 1, and this is the Arkansas Liberty Coalition Candidate Forum. We look forward to to seeing you there. Let's get a quick break, then we'll come back. J.R. and I will talk uh, about uh, the impeachment some and uh, maybe talk about a few of these races that are going on, like the one down in Bryant, uh, not Bryant, Benton, is getting interesting, and we'll talk about that when we come back in just a moment. Little uh, business news for you. Amazon reported its quarter uh, for the fourth quarter earnings on uh, today, beating Wall Street's expectations on both the top and bottom line. Revenue eighty-seven point four billion versus eighty-six point one expected. Earnings per share six dollars and forty-seven cents versus four dollars eleven cents that was expected. So when you're like two dollars over what they're expecting per share. You're in pretty good health. <sighs> I always think about, you know. They were up 8%. 20 years ago. Yeah. You just buy into something. <laughs> Everyone thought that he was crazy. Yeah. He just took all the profits from the early Amazon and kept sticking it back into technology, and people thought he was crazy. Yeah. What, well, was, it, you know, what was it in Back to the Future? Remember Google? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Wasn't that the line? I like that. As you go back, remember Google. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's it's just something, I tell you. There's a lot of stuff out there right now. I still, I understand to some extent, but not the extent to which it's, uh, it's causing so much problems as coronavirus, making the stock markets get shaky and everything. I mean, there's, you're in a country of 3 billion people, and right now, very few people have died, and I, I don't understand it. I do understand this. Gas is down over at Sam's North Little Rock, dollar ninety eight a gallon right now. 
Wow. Below $2. You hear me right. Below $2. Okay. Let's take a break and we'll get the news and then JR and I will be right back. All right. So let me ask uh, JR, who follows uh, politics like I do. He may be follow, He may follow certain races closer than I do, but I think overall we try to keep our fingers on the pulse of what's going on. Your feeling of what's happening in the Senate now? Where do you think they are? What do you think is going to happen? I think that the media is making a lot to do with the three, uh, you know, fence votes. I guess Romney, you say, with Romney, Collins, Collins and Murkowski. Murkowski. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, you heard from Pat Toomey earlier that you know the rules of the Senate, even if they lose all three of them, it still fails. So fifty-fifty. Yeah. So if they make a motion 50-50 to bring witnesses, if it's 50-50, that loses and they just move on to the verdict. Um, You know, I I think that, honestly, I think people are, I go back to what I said earlier in the program when when I was uh, at the beginning of the hour, that um, I really feel like there's another strategy to this. And the more and more it lasts, the more I think it has to do with the presidential election. Right, right. And so... I th- honestly, I think the American people are tired. Uh, I think they, I think they want this to be over with. Even if they don't like Trump, I, they just know that hey, this is you know, it's it's just being dragged on way too long. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and and I think that's probably I think that's bipartisan. I think that's across party lines. People are tired of this. I don't think the Democrats have handled it well. I think too, when you go back to one of the articles of impeachment, the obstruction of Congress is one of the more laughable. And I think that his defense team has done a nice job of explaining that you cannot impeach a president for using the powers invested in him That's by the correct. Constitution of the United States. You may not agree with it, but you can't impeach the guy. And so I think when you have half, you know, one of two articles of impeachment um, that they're considering, and one of them is just absolutely laughable, uh, I think it speaks volumes. And I think the people, uh, the American people understand that and realize that, hey, the cake's baked. It was baked in the House. It was baked in the Senate. We know it's going to happen. Let's move on from it. Um, and, and and again, look, you're competing now with the presidential primaries on the Democratic side. People are paying, I think, more attention to that at this point than the impeachment process. Well, they will be in the evening. I mean, next week it's going to be a fun week because if by if, – and, and look, the Democrats may push the uh, the verdict off until Saturday when – People aren't paying a whole lot of attention or whatever and try to beat them in as far as coverage in the media. But the president is going to give the State of the Union address on Tuesday. By the way, we'll have it live for you right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Uh, So he's going to be able to stand up in front of Congress and look at the House and the Democrats in the House and say, I'm still here. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have an acquittal. Uh, basically, the timeline you'll you know possibly have an acquittal on Saturday. They could do the it tomorrow. Iowa caucus, to be honest. yeah. Well, Friday, Saturday, acquittal. Monday, Iowa caucuses. Tuesday, State of the Union. Yeah. And then all eyes turn to New Hampshire. I just think it's uh, this lot, is the most lot fun going to start happening. This is, now. This is an, I like I, it's fun. I mean, especially look like I said before, the cake's baked. Uh, the media is doing everything they can. It's sort of like when you have uh, a college football game. And you got to fill the air, right, to talk about something. And that how how possibly can this FCS, you know, uh, college of 
of Little Rock beat University of Alabama, everybody tries to find some way, right? That, yeah. Oh, well, maybe they could possibly, and then it's 62 to nothing and Alabama wins. It's the no, same it's thing with this. It's always going to be. You hear it on the media. They're all talking about, well, if this happens, if that happens. I mean, you even heard on Fox News earlier uh, where Bill Hemmer was saying, uh-huh. well, if it is 50-50, what, you know, what does that really say to the American people? Yeah. They're just trying to find yeah, something. Yeah, show me that. People don't care. I, I really do believe at this point you either like Trump or you hate Trump. <laughs> I don't had, think you've there's... You've had three years to, yeah, to form your opinion. Is. That's for sure. It is what it is. So I think this is going to end where we all thought it was going to end, probably on the time frame that was laid out to begin with. Um, and then we'll all move on, and we'll see how it plays. Again, I go back to pay attention to the Democratic primary as we get closer to the convention. It's going to be very, very interesting. When, it, where, when is their convention? Is it in August? As I think well? it's in August. I think I mean, they're I'm basically. Going, I think I'm it's heading, a week apart, isn't it? Like they do one week it's yeah. the Republican, one week it's the Democrat. Yes. Now it's the going Democrats to be very, going before the Republicans this year? I don't know. Usually, the incumbent goes after. The party that's building the challenger. My so that will be very interesting, to say the least. Oh, it's going to be very entertaining. I'm going to be at the Republican National Convention. That's already, that's already been determined. So I'm looking forward to broadcasting live from there. Of course, this time we'll be broadcasting live uh, East Coast time in the morning. So I'll be working from 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the morning, East Coast time. So I'm looking forward to it. There'll be a lot. Uh, I may be able to grab a lot more people this time just because they're not in meetings like they were the last That's time true. in the afternoon. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. I think it's going to be interesting. Here's what I think is going to, the most interesting part of the vote for the exoneration of the president is going to be how many Democrats vote for the president. Yeah. I'm saying there's a possibility I know three in my own mind, pretty much so. I mean, Manchin's going to vote for him. Jones is going to vote for him out of Alabama if he wants to get reelected. There's a guy, I think, in Indiana that I expect to vote for him. So we got three there. I think it could be as high as six, to be honest with you. There's several Democrats, and Bill Hemmer talked about this, but I've been reading about it as well, that are are really, really hesitant to make to vote against the president with the 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 thin gruel that the House has brought up against him. They've lowered the bar so low they don't want that to happen. Yeah, and, and I do think that that gives tells me somebody who's more more concerned about their country than they are about their own political office yeah, that's a very good point you raise i think that you know the democrats that are looking for an out they're in in, in a troubled state yeah uh, they could be up for grabs uh i do think this gives them an out to say look this is this does not rise to the level of what it should to mm-hmm. impeach a president it sets a dangerous precedent it becomes a political tool um you can say a lot of those things and say look i don't agree with the president he shouldn't have done this blah blah, blah. but I believe that the Constitution, you know, this should be at a much higher threshold than what we've made it, what the House has sent us. It gives them an argument. And so I think that that is a safe bet for some. But, you know, you mentioned it. There's a couple that absolutely have to vote for the president if they want any sort of poll. If they want a chance. I mean, and I I don't think Jones has much of a chance. It all depends on what's unless the judge somehow 
rises from the well, grave again. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, to, <laughs> I, hey, look, kudos to the people of Alabama. Uh, the last poll I saw where he was like right up below or above eight percent yeah uh, so i think he's pretty much dead in the water yeah I, but i do think tuberville and sessions are both that's going to be interesting that sessions coming back tuberville probably thought i'm going to be senator yeah and then all of a sudden sessions says well i'm going to run for senate again yeah it's going to be interesting it will be, i think it will be a very very close race that's I think, going to be razor thin i think if I had to put money on it, I think Sessions, he's just beloved in Alabama. I mean, and yeah. I think that the Trump stuff definitely hurt him. Uh, but I just think, again, people have, I mean, it's one of those things where it's kind of a John Paul Hammerschmidt type deal yep. where everyone has some story. They know, you know, Jeff Sessions, he's been around for so long. They really like him. He's got a great personality. I mean, he really does. I mean, obviously, I know. The stuff I've talked like, to him before. He's a funny man. Yeah. He came in, uh, if you remember, he came into Hot Springs uh, uh, for the, uh, Oh, what were we, it was oh we did the uh, the safe school initiative that the governor put together right and he came in to hot springs and that. he was still the ag that's a couple of years ago yeah so i mean he's just he's a he's a good guy people like him i think tuberville's in that same category uh he has to you know battle with some of the alabama fans that remember he beat them six times in a row other than that uh it's going to be razor thin but i think sessions ends up getting it how about over in georgia the guy that's been such a big in the house big push from georgia for the president i'm trying to think of his name oh oh uh uh oh my gosh he's he's he, on the uh, he's on the defense team yes. he brought him on there you know Col- he's announced uh, that he's going collins collins yeah. he's, Doug announced, collins, right? he's announced he's going to run for senate now well good time to that's going to be an interesting yeah, race that's going to be it's a uh what for which senate seat uh the the uh, what was it the one that uh was it Purdue that per- had, he had to give up the Senate mm. seat? There's somebody who's given up his seat. Okay. And uh, we'll strike while the iron wow. is hot. That's good. I like the guy. He's very good. Yeah, he's very, he's good. very articulate. I'll tell you that. I like him a lot. So when we come back, I'll tell you a great joke. You, you're going to love this about a woman that's on her deathbed and she pleads to have uh, Schumer and Pelosi come to see her before she dies. <laughs> And I'll, I'll tell you about that in just a moment. J.R. Davis is here, Gilmore Group. Good to have him with us. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on here in the state as well when we return. It's uh, 101.1 FM, The Answer, and, of course, the home of Rush Limbaugh. So I, I heard this story just this morning. I won't say where I heard it from. I'm going to protect the, the name of the innocent. But uh, I was told that their grandmother was dying and uh, they went to see her and talked to her and they said, I need one. I need you to do me one big favor. And they said, well, you know, grandma, I'll try to do what I can do. And they said, I know that you are well uh, involved in politics and I want I want Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to come see me. And he says, well, you know, that's a tough ask. I'll I'll see if I can't get it done, but I don't know if I'll be able to get it done or not, but I'll give it, I'll give an ask. But I got to ask you why, because I know you're a Republican. Uh, why do you, why Schumer and Pelosi? And grandmother looked at him and said, well, 
you know, I want to die like my dear Lord died. I, I want to die with, uh, with thieves on either side of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's good. I like That's that. That's pretty good. That was a good one. So I, and, and for everybody who just heard that and want to use it, you have my blessing, <laughs> all right, to go ahead and tell your friends that joke. Because the person who told it to me gave me their blessing. You don't have to give me any kind of, you don't have to say where you heard it from. So, and I, I wouldn't do that. But so the bottom line is, that's a good one. I like that, that one. That is good. I like that, that That's too. fun. That's that's a fun one. Okay, let's talk about a local race. We've got about seven minutes here. That's happening down in Bryant. This is the Furman McClure. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, Tony Furman, and I don't know McClure's first Marietta name. McClure. Marietta McClure. Okay, she's got the she's got the fitness center down there, and she's decided she wants to be a state representative. This race has gotten interesting because number one, they're challenging her on her residency. Number one. Correct. Now. Is it right that you have to live in the residency that you're running in for a year? Correct. And there's a question whether she's resided for a year. Yes, I think it's up. So I think the uh, it's a very very low bar. I mean that's that's you know there's been a lot of folks who have been given the pass. Uh, They can stay on the ballot. There's been residential issues. This was this one's pretty, you know, suspect. Uh, Obviously, I think they have a big. Uh, home in the northern part of Benton outside the district. Right. I think it's on uh, the market right now for about $650,000. They have about four kids. This, yeah, they got a great family. I mean, is, she's got yeah. a great family. Well, then you go from this huge home to a very, very small yeah. rent home. Yes. Uh, they they do, she has said that, uh, uh, you know, they, they plan on remodeling it and doing all that sort of stuff. This sounds like additions to me. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I think. I think it's going to get bulldozed and rebuilt, but... Um, yeah, I think it's, it's something to watch for sure. I think that's going to be an issue. Uh, I think there's also going to be an issue if it just depends on the resources and how much they can get it out there. But, um, you know, there's been the, uh, her defense having worked for Mark Pryor yeah. but at the time there was something that people could wow. quite, you know, her, her re- reasoning, I think would resonate with most folks and has for this particular one. But at the time we didn't have any Republican senators. That's right. You know, she wanted, uh, it was a friend uh, uh, that got her the opportunity, wanted to go up there and have the experience. Understandable. Being an intern. Yeah, uh, understandable. Uh, but then there was a uh, an ad that has resurfaced from yes, the 2014 gubernatorial has. campaign when Governor Hutchinson, then candidate Hutchinson, was running against uh, Congressman Mike Ross. And Marietta McClure is in that ad, and not just in the ad. Uh, she goes on to say things about Asa, about he wants to raise your taxes and do all these sorts of things. And uh, basically, uh, you know, spewing the Democrat line. Yeah. And it was, you know, two people in that commercial, <laughs> one and then Marietta McClure. That's right. And so it was uh, it's it's kind of hard to explain that one for sure. I don't think you can. Um, and so that'll be interesting. And if that resonates now, granted, on the flip side. She's voted in every Republican primary. Yeah, I don't know how much that weight that carries to most folks, but that's that's something that's a little bit uh, peculiar when you put all these pieces side by side. So that is an interesting race. Tony Furman on the other side. I think everyone would consider him the underdog in this race. Yes, he is. 
but he is, uh, I mean, he's hes doing what I think you have to do in order to win he's this pretty, race. He's pretty solid. I think he, I had him on my show and talked to him. I haven't been contacted by McClure's people. If they do, I'll have her on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he sounded like a solid conservative to me. Yeah, I mean, I think both, uh, you know, look, the stuff aside with Marietta, I think both are, you know, from what they've said, would make good uh, additions to the legislature. But, it, you know, and again, it comes a bit down to the fact that I don't know if Tony has the resources. And when I say resources, I mean the money to get that message out. Maybe he does. Maybe he finds a way. Uh, but I think at this point, I would peg Marietta to win the race. Well, she's got but a business. I she mean, does. a big business. She's very popular in the area. Um, and so, look, we'll see. I said before, it's a low threshold for residency. I don't think she's going get, to get kicked off the ballot, though she could. And you're going to hear that come, uh, that information is going to come down, or the, the ruling will come down on that fairly soon. They Who try makes to that ruling? Expedite. Is it court uh, or yeah. is it just election commission? I believe it's the court. It goes in front of a judge, I okay. believe. So, but we'll see. I mean, they, they usually expedite those on, you know, obviously with a race that's basically two and a half weeks out from early voting. So you'll hear something on that soon. But that's a very interesting race. Okay, another race going on, one that's happening down in the Malvern area, you got is it is it McClure there? If I'm not mistaken, Rick McClure, yes, yeah, who's running uh, for a state representative, District 26, Rushing's old seat, yes. and Rushing's mom, Lorna Noble, is yeah. running for the seat as well. And the folks that head up the realtors, right. Uh, commi- uh, committee well, or whatever, put all their money into McClure's campaign, which is just weird because she's had her, she's been part of the association for i think 40 years or yeah something like that. this huge amount of time and she and full she, disclosure we do yeah. represent rick mcclure oh okay um, but i mean i think i can speak for you know we uh, that was i think surprising to a lot of people i think it goes back to probably a uh uh, some bad blood between Lori and the real estate uh, Lori being Lori Rushing, who is the daughter, she's probably poisoned the water a yeah. little bit for her mother. But look, I mean, she's a very popular figure down there. Uh, she won her last reelect by uh, a pretty good she margin. She stomped I think. people, 63-39. Yeah. And I do think the, uh, the opponent ran a very strange race. Um, I think Rick <laughs> is doing a good job uh, getting out there. It'll be interesting. I do think there's going to be a lot of these races as we approach March 3rd that are very intriguing to me. Uh, you know, I think you have the race for Andy Davis's seat. Yeah, uh, that know, is interesting. That's another one where, again, we, you know, full disclosure, we represent one of the candidates in that race. And, uh, you know, but I think it comes down to, I've all, I always feel this way. It, there's a concoction here that you have to follow to win these races. You know, you got to have some money. Uh, you got to gotta get in people's mailboxes. But you, you also cannot... Uh, you know, underestimate what it means to go door to door, meet people, shake their hand, get their commitment. Got to burn shoe leather. Yeah, yeah, you got you got to work hard, and I think that uh, I think both guys are working hard. Um, you know, Keith Brooks is who we represent. I think he is. Uh, I mean, he's out every single day, and that's what I love about these local races. You know, you know, it's, it's the hard work I think that gets rewarded. Um, but you know, it's interesting. It's a lot of. It's going to be a. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to feel going into March 3rd. There's going to be a lot of these races that I think are too too close to call. Going to be anecdotally. nervous. Is that what you're saying? You're going to be a little bit nervous. Well, there? you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, I think that there's going to be some uh, 
there could be some really close races. They could get blown out. But anecdotally, I think that, you know, I'll go into March 3rd with uh, a lot of these races in mind. I think they're going to be close, at least in my mind, and then we'll see how they play out. Uh, I do want to say one last thing uh, about uh, the event on Saturday. I love Uh that they're doing that. Uh, I will say that the uh, judicial races are so, so important. And I know a lot of your, um, I would have said the majority of those who listen to you watch Fox News, Mm -hmm. and they've seen the stories, not just on Fox, but what President Trump has done on the judiciary, uh, from the Supreme Court to some of these district courts, the Court of Appeals, all these type of things. Big changes. Big changes. These seats matter. And so I would encourage anyone who's going to this event on Saturday, make sure you do your research on the candidates. Mm -hmm. They'll say what they need to say. Um, But, of course, again, full disclosure, we represent Barbara Webb. I think she would be a fantastic Supreme Court justice. Um, But you got to be careful on these races they mean a lot they mean a great deal probably Just more so because than any they're of these your friend races. doesn't necessarily mean they'd be a good supreme court judge Just so keep saying. that in mind yeah. yeah so it's very interesting we got a month left basically as of monday we have a month left uh before the early vote or before election day well my yeah. gosh two weeks before early vote, votes so. february 17th Whew. it's yeah. coming up it's right around the corner right after my birthday I'll be celebrating my birthday. What can I say? <laughs> All right. We'll see you a week from uh, today in the morning at, what are we going to do, 8 o'clock? Is that what I we're think doing? seven. 7 o'clock, okay, on Thursday. I'll You'll be, be going coming next in. Thursday. Yeah, you're going to be after that, governors be up there. All yeah. right. Well, you go hobnob with all the people with yeah. the patent leather shoes. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'll see all you right. later. See you, Have a good one now. I'll be back in just about five minutes. Got some news coming your way here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, and... We're going to have none other than Robert Steinbach. And I want to get his take on how much he likes Alan Dertzowitz now. Steinbach is with us, and uh, have you got to watch much of the impeachment uh, trial of Donald Trump? So so. All right. Have you got got to watch Alan Dershowitz? I only saw some replay of him. God, he has been unbelievable at at trial. I mean, yesterday, you know, I was playing that one cut last week about how he was going to be like the special teams player. He's going to kick the game-winning. Uh, field goal. He eviscerated on his own yesterday the Democrats, the managers. Every one of them just totally took them apart piece by piece. And look, let, let's all be honest here. This is one of the uh, liberals of all liberals. Absolutely. And, and he has taken umbrage at the attack that the Democrats have made on the Constitution of the United States. I heard Adam Schiff speak today, and he said something that was 100% wrong, and he didn't even know it because he was reading it from a staffer who wrote something wrong. Uh Specifically, he says, well, Mr. Dershowitz says you can only 
impeach someone for criminal act or near criminal activity. And the president's counsel have otherwise said that you cannot indict a president for criminal activity. And here, wait for it. Here's the part where Schiff goes. Therefore, there's no way to convict a president for criminal activity. No. (laughs) No. no. That's, That's exactly wrong. Let me break it down for you. The president's position, it's not an unusual position, by the way, is that the only way to convict a president of criminal activity is through impeachment. There are two options, indictment, criminal, normal criminal indictment, or senatorial impeachment. Right. And the president's position, and this is not an unusual, meaning a lot of scholars believe this, is you can't choose the criminal indictment process You can only choose the senatorial impeachment process. He was so confused because what he was trying to say is if we can't convict someone of non-criminal activity in an impeachment and you can't convict a president of criminal activity in an indictment because indictments are only for criminal activity, then you could never convict a president for non-criminal activity. Well, guess what, folks? People don't get convicted for non-criminal activity. <laughs> or shouldn't. Right. Hey, Dave Ellswick, we want to throw you in jail for non-criminal activity. <laughs> uh, let's develop a process for that, yeah. says Schiff. Sure. He's mindless. He doesn't realize what he's even saying. Because he is so sold on the fact they got to get this president. They have to get this president. And by now they know. That's not going to happen. Surely they know they have lost. I'm not sure they know they have lost. And stop calling me Shirley. (laughs) Zach didn't like that one. From now on, I think what we should do, since Shift has proven himself to be such a liar, that we should tell people that they're full of Shift. (laughs) I think that's what I... (laughs) I can tell the difference. What is between uh, Shinola? How does the saying go? Shinola, yeah, Shinola f- fills in for what you're yes. filling it in for. So I, did you hear my joke there at the in the last hour about the woman who wanted? To, I heard the lead into it, and okay. then then, then uh, you missed the you missed the punchline. Punch line, right. And the, the the daughter asked the grandmother, "Why do you want to have Schumer and Pelosi right here? I know that you're a lifelong Republican, Republican right? And, and she well, she said." Because she's a good Christian lady. She goes, I want to die like my Savior did between two thieves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a good one. It's not bad. I like that it's one. It's not bad. Got good laughs from everybody right, here. And so, right, of course, right. they all might laugh because they know that's the only way that you get back on my show. Well, that's like that's like the, <laughs> the jokes that judges tell. They're always funny when they're in a black robe. That's you know? right. Absolutely. Everybody laughs. You better laugh. That's all the way that goes. So how do you think this plays out now? I, evidently, they've got the votes not to not have to do witnesses. To, right. I mean, you watch Romney walking around, and I'm surprised he doesn't have a black armband on his, on his, on his arm. But uh, I had Fox News up earlier with Bill Hemmer, and Toomey from Pennsylvania was on, Senator Toomey, and he said uh, if it's a 50-50 vote, and that would be if Romney, Collins, and Murkowski all voted 
four witnesses, which I do not believe is going to happen, uh, then it would be a 50-50 vote, and they would go directly then to see if the president is guilty or not. Meaning 50 is not enough to make it it's happen. It's not enough to make 51. it happen. No, and the vice president 51. does not split a vote no, he in this does context. Not. And I, get, I don't know if the... If the chief justice can throw a vote, but I don't think I doubt, he, it. I doubt if he would vote, to be honest. No, I doubt that, that that's the process. OK, so bottom line is that, that that's where they're at. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, they would they're going to have to vote on witnesses tomorrow. Mm-hmm. After they vote on that, do they have to have a bunch of speechifying or can they go right to the vote to determine the president's? <laughs> It's however they set up the rules already, unless they take a new vote on the on the rules. And I think they set up the rules already. On yeah, that. they're done. Right. So I don't. I think if that vote comes out no, they go straight to the vote. I think. Okay. Well, it's just a question of what they've. They already came up with one set of rules. So if they so, get to it tomorrow afternoon, and it happens during my show, you're going to hear it live oh, here. I can guarantee you, we'll have it live here. That's great. On the Dave Ellswick show, and then we'll pop the champagne corks afterwards. Right. How many Democrats do you think will join the Republicans to exonerate the president? The only one that uh, I know of, uh, of a possibility, is, uh, what's it, Manchin? Manchin of West Virginia. Right. That's the only one I think Jones. Where's Jones from? Alabama. Oh, right, the Democrat who just barely won because they had a lousy Republican candidate. Yeah, well, they had the judge. Yeah, the judge was a lousy Republican candidate. Yes, he was. And he's he's not good. It's going to be Tuberville or, or Sessions this time. Very Whichever good. one right. runs right. is going to win. Right, can guarantee it almost. Right. So, uh, I think the I don't know about Jones. Maybe, but it those are the only two. And I I wasn't thinking of Jones, so I I don't really know whether he's even. There's been a few Democrats now that are talking about that the House has not made their case. Right, and they are also concerned about the low bar that they are trying to use for the impeachment. And they understand if they get President Trump on this low bar, then every president after is low barred at that point. Yeah, subject to the same Yeah, standard. to the exact same stuff. So right. they don't want to see that happen, which means they're going to turn uh, towards believing in the constitution instead of showing their party you know love so to speak there's a crazy idea i would like to see i personally think it's going to be somewhere between three and six democrats and that will blow the house uh, democrats I'll, I'll take the out under, of the water i'll take the under on six yeah oh, there you, if you go you want to draw the line yeah. on six i'll take the under <laughs> i'm just saying yeah it it will be I mean, if if you're Pelosi, what do you say about if let's say there's six Democrats that vote against you? What do you say at that point? Except, well, she already made this. Well, really, they're all wrong. Not only that, she really made an immoral statement. Now, by the way, someone else can have their own morality, and you do with it whatever you may. But she made an immoral statement when she said, "You are indicted forever," because, of course, in uh, or impeached, impeached. rather, you're, which you're, is the same as an indictment, to be clear. The impeachment lasts forever. Well, right. so does, you know, being the exoneration. Not, exoneration. And, and here's the thing. Our justice system, and this extends equally to impeachment as it does the criminal justice system, 
quite clearly says you are innocent until proven guilty. And to and to even put a more fine um, blade on that, you are innocent until the determining body finds you guilty, the jury. And as we know in this context, the jury is the Senate. So if you, Dave Ellswick, get arrested and get indicted for for murder, and then you go to trial, as opposed to having the case dismissed even, the same applies to the latter, by the way, you go to trial and they find you not guilty. Guess what? You're innocent. And at no time would any liberal and hopefully any conservative, but liberals were even better at this historically than conservatives were, at no time would any liberal say, you're guilty or you're bad or you're wrong. You were exonerated, plain yes. and simple. We never take the indictment, the charge, as the proof of wrongdoing. Our criminal justice system explicitly says you are innocent up until the point that they find you guilty. And if they don't find you guilty... You remain innocent that whole time. Yes. And she has the audacity to essentially say, well, if you were charged with murder, Dave Ellswick, and were found innocent, you were still charged. That's right. You were still still a murderer. You're still a murderer. How dare you? How dare you turn the American criminal justice system on its head for your asserted political advantage? Well, I've heard that the Democrats use another argument that bothers me, and that is, well, if the Republicans don't allow witnesses, then they'll exonerate this uh, president with an asterisk by his name. Well, you Do you know, believe that? I, I, I believe that they said it. But this is not the back of a baseball card with an extended season. How's this, by the way, Zach, for an analogy to sports? And I don't know anything about sports. You're talking about home runs, right? Right, exactly. With an extended season (laughs) in which you had more home runs. The fact is, I, I mentioned just a moment ago to you, Dave, that if you were charged with murder and then you got there and your lawyer says, I make a motion to dismiss before there's a trial because this is what the prosecution did wrong. They charged me with something, uh, and they didn't even state the elements of the crime. There are a variety of reasons you can make a motion to dismiss. That's but one example. Dave Ellswick makes a motion to dismiss after he is wrongfully, by the way, charged with murder, and the judge grants that motion to dismiss. There's no asterisk, David. Mm. There's no asterisk at all. No, I agree. You remain not guilty. Why? You remain innocent, no less, because you are innocent until you're proven guilty. And if the case is dismissed, with or without a trial, with or without witnesses, you are innocent. So that asterisk. By the way, what is that? The new tops uh, car impeachment cards? <laughs> and, and tell me, is the is the bubble gum in the tops impeachment card that same stale piece of bubble gum? I love that stale piece of bubble gum. I did too. I thought it was all right. Although I have to admit that I was much more prone to having about six pieces of bazooka in my mouth yeah. when I played baseball yeah. in little league. There you go. You know, I couldn't chew tobacco, so I I had that big chaw of, of chewing yeah. gum. I like the other. What's the other? Not the bazooka, but the round one. Double bubble. Double bubble. That's a good. It's one. good. In fact, double bubble was the chewing gum of Major League Baseball for years. Is that right? They had those. Have you ever seen the big buckets that yes. they have? Yeah, they, sure. they had those in the dugouts of Major League Baseball. The the good thing about the double bubble bubble gum is you open up the wrapper 
you put the bubble gum in your mouth, you start chewing, and before you have the opportunity to throw out the wrapper, the bubble gum has lost all its flavor. So you, so you can use that wrapper to throw it away. <laughs> it's one perfect cycle. But see, I like the comics that came with bazooka. Yeah, those were fun. Yeah, they were those are fun, typically yeah. good. By the way, I'm if I were writing the president's State of the Union, which right. I'm not, but right. which will be given on they Tuesday night. They didn't call you? No, they didn't. Oh. Tuesday night, uh, he'll be giving that in front of Congress, and uh, we'll have it live for you right here at 101.1 FM. The uh, the answer is, it, it, are we going on the air at 7? Is that what it's going to be, Zach? Is it 7 or 8? We'll find out. We'll find out. I'll tell you before we get out of here today. I w- the first words that I would have the president say is that he would turn to the Speaker of the House who sits right behind him with the vice president and say, exoneration trumps impeachment. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I would love that. Maybe you, should tur- maybe you should turn to the audience, yes, the House and Senate folks, and say, what else you got? There you go. What else you got? All right, we've got to take a break. Robert Steinbach is on my show today. We're going to talk further a little bit about what's going on during this impeachment time. I want to talk to Robert as well about the president's uh, Middle East uh, ideas, because I think they're good. I think they're very good. But I'm afraid to talk about it because there's a quid pro quo in it. We'll talk about it when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. So before we get to talking about the president and uh, his Middle East uh, uh, ideas for bringing peace and bringing a two-state solution uh, in the Middle East between Israel and and the uh, the Palestinians, uh, Dershowitz made a great, great argument uh, yesterday. Just I said earlier today, he eviscerated the Democrats. And that was about the quid pro quo thing. He says the president uses quid pro quo all the time. All the time. So let's talk about the quid pro quo for the Palestinians. We'll give you a state if you do the following. Not kill people, essentially. Get rid of of all the terrorism. Mm -hmm. You know, basically throw Hamas out on their ear. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, coming up with free elections and, and things of that nature. Folks, that's quid pro quo. Everything that we do here as a country, for the most part, when you're you're giving money, foreign aid to these despots and stuff, the reason you're giving them the money is to try to make them change what they're doing in your countries. That's quid pro quo. We'll give you the money if you do this. It happens all the time, and you know Dershowitz made that 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 point and he also said you know you know is it does it make it a crime if the the president is trying to help himself out you know at, uh, along the way and of course he was able to prove that no it's not so but it was interesting so what did you think well, I, I always a- like asking robert because robert's jewish so he's got a vested interest in all of this well and my parents emigrated from Israel uh, to the United States. Now, of course, my father was born, as you know, Dave, and much of your audience knows, was born in Poland, 
right. be- before World War II. And he survived living in Europe and the Soviet Union uh, through the war, luckily, and then went to Israel. My mother was born in Israel. Her parents moved to Israel in the mid-30s from Germany, realizing that the the rise of the Nazis yeah. was a bad thing. And that, of course, saved their lives. My That couple that moved to Israel, my grandparents, the... My grandmother's parents were killed by the Nazis, uh, and they, um, my grandfather's parents were not, uh, his mother was not Jewish. She died of cancer during the war, and the father survived. In, uh, uh, remarkable. But, so, of course, I believe in the, the right of the continuation, the continued existence of the Jewish state of Israel. But you don't have to be Jewish, of course, much like you. You're the one with the Israeli flag hanging in your office uh, to believe that we should support the only democracy in the Middle East. There's no other democracy in the Middle East. Okay, let's pick this up when we come back. We've got news coming up. It's an important thing to talk about. And then I want to talk about Neil Gorsuch, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, and his view of of lower courts stopping, uh, you know, presidents saying, yeah, we'll talk about that as well here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 101.1 FM, the answer, home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. All right, let's get back and I'll let you continue. You were uh, teaching a little bit about the uh, the state of Israel. The president now has come out with his own ideas, 80 pages, in fact on how to make a two-state solution possible where you actually get a state of Palestine and then you get Israel. And one of the the stipulations for this state was that Israel gets to exist. And as long as Hamas is calling the shots, that's never going to happen. That's right, Dave. The bottom line is that Few people at this point remember that in 1947, when the U.N. established Israel as a country, remember all that land was controlled for a long time by the British, before that for much longer by the Ottomans. Right. That's when there were empires. It was quite literally the Ottoman Empire. That the U.N. decided to partition that land, gave part to Jews— there have always been Jews living in Israel, and of course, they were exiled many times, but there there have always been some, and part to Arabs. Yeah. And the Jews said, okay, that sounds good to me, I'll take it. And the Arabs said, no. We want it all. We want it all. Quite literally saying they wanted to push push the Jews into the sea. And that's never changed, by the way, that right. terminology. That terminology persists even to this day. And so that was the deal then. And Israel and its people have persisted in that goal ever since. But part of the deal is, Dave, that Israel is not subjected to ongoing attacks. That state of affairs has never existed right. since the creation of the state of Israel. And so if the Arabs want to recognize, want recognized a state of Palestine, 
they must effectively remove the ongoing attacks from those areas, no less others. We'll see if it's possible. I don't know if it's possible. I remain skeptical. But I will say this. It shouldn't stop you from trying. 100%. You know, 100%. And I'm glad that the president right. is trying. And if there's one guy that might be able to pull this off, I think it's Donald Trump. Dave, all the liberal media, all the leftist politicians said when Donald Trump fulfilled the same promise that the leftists gave as well as the conservatives— to move, quite simply, the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv, one city in Israel, to the capital city in Israel, Jerusalem. Of course, we know about Jerusalem. It's a biblical city as well. All the lefties came out of the woodwork, said it was going to be the end of the world. It was going to result in a conflagration of mass proportion. And none of that happened, Dave. That's just like the gun rights demonstration in Virginia. That's right. They That's thought right. that was going to be oh, a you bloodbath. you mean the so-called uh, white racist, uh, white, yeah, the white power, supremacist, white yeah. supremacist uh, gun-toting meeting where people were going to get killed? Yep. The one that never happened? Yep. The one that never was going to happen? Nope. Nobody even arrested. Planned, nobody arrested? That one? That okay. one. Okay. Okay. By the way, uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, yes, the honk the horn of one of my power panel uh, participants, Jan Morgan, uh, pointed out Jan Morgan's speech. Is that right? At that nice. uh, that uh, part, it was uh, very cool that that nice. happened for for Jan. I happened to see that on Facebook, mm-hmm. and uh, happy for it. Congratulations, yeah, Jan, on that. By the way, I talked to Jan today. She's the only member of the power panel I haven't talked to uh, to to uh, tell her that we're going to start meeting at. 6 a.m. on Monday morning, and uh, she's all in. Great. She'll be here at 6 o'clock morning. In fact, she said, Dave, this works out better for me than it does, um, you know. The other way the around. The other way around in the evening, yeah. Well, that's just a reminder to tell your audience, as you've been doing, Dave, that starting next week, you're on yeah, in Monday, the mornings. 6 a.m., baby. Right. And I will now be moving with you. To Fridays. To Fridays, joining you at 7. Yep. You'll be coming in and doing your thing, dude. Looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Yes, sir. It's going to be fun. Got to talk to Matt Smith tomorrow about coming in at 6 o'clock. Right. We'll see what Matt has We'll see what he says. By the way, um, I got to get a hold of Elizabeth and set something up on my Facebook and have you, maybe we just need to put something up saying, would you attend? I'd like to show that movie about clarence thomas please get that done the, with, uh, the documentary with the, but, with the folks down at the riverdale movie, yeah with right? yeah with matt yeah. smith in riverdale right and i i talked to matt about it and he said we want at least 50 people that are sure coming well i'm one and so i'm gonna have to have i'm gonna have to set up a thing where people you know make it Sign an up. opportunity and they can say i'm coming i'm coming i'll pay in advance if need uh, be. you know so people are talking yeah. about uh coming to see uh, the motion picture uh that that thing about uh, justice clarence thomas yeah, pretty impressive stuff i've read more about it and i want to see it absolutely me too did you see where the press has gotten hold of it now no. and they're talking about what thomas said about when he was up to be 
Supreme Court justice and the hearings were going on? No. What, he what had some it? very interesting things to say about Biden. He did? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You, I, I won't spoil it for you. Right, right. I want you to, to, to see it. It's pretty, it's it's an indictment right. of, of Biden. And by the way, and, and what do you, what else do you think about this Israeli thing? Do you, do you, you doubt whether Hamas will allow this to go through? I doubt whether Hamas is going to allow it to go through. I have my skepticism is my point. Well, you should have. Right. I mean, what has Hamas done for the last 30 years? Longer. Trying to push the Jews into the Mediterranean Sea. That's what they've been trying to do. So, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. By the way, when he showed up and he went through that, did you notice that there were members of other Jewish states around? Right. I thought that was interesting too. Right. It shows that you not mean all, other Arab states. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, did I say Jewish? Right. I'm I thought Arab. you were making the joke. No, know. Arab states. Here's the thing that you, you hear all the time. Thank you. Well, uh, this is Arab homeland, and that's a whole dispute, as you know. But the fact is, there's one Jewish state in all of the world, and there are n- not hundreds. I think tens of Arab states, tens of uh, dozens of Muslim states. There's only one Jewish state yeah, in the whole world. Absolutely, and they don't like it. But there's a, a lot of Jewish or uh, Arab states now that are saying, yep. yeah, we're, we're looking to put together. That's right. Let's work together. Let's do some peaceful things That's for right. change. That's exactly it's time right. that enough people have died doing this. So That's we'll right. have to see what happens as far as that's concerned. All right, we've got to get a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Neil Gorsuch. He made uh, some statements uh, yesterday or day before, uh, very important statements and something that we'd like to talk about here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stick with us. We're coming back. Robert Steinbach is my guest. His opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the uh, Bowen School Law or of UA in Little Rock. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, We'll play a piece from... Uh, Netanyahu here in a moment. But first, I want to talk about the Neil Gorsuch story. Uh, that is something we've mentioned before. Well, we've discussed it. Yeah, and it's a it's a big thing. And that is a judge in California uh, puts an injunction on the president's travel ban. Let's just use that as an example. And it extends across the United States. Gorsuch right. said, not a good idea. And remember, just to be clear, as we discussed incidentally during the break, that it works both ways. There was a there is a judge who I know in Texas who put a ban on Obamacare, essentially, and that was nationwide as well. So the outcome could be to our pleasure or displeasure, albeit the left has been somewhat more effective at picking venues to impose these nationwide bans than the conservatives have of late. But I agree with you, as we've discussed before, that it's a little disconcerting when one district judge in, say, uh, California or Little Rock or anywhere else, Columbus, anywhere, can write, can make an injunction, and that applies to the application of the law nationwide. I'm not sure exactly how I would parse that, but I'm concerned 
one perhaps would think it would need to go for an immediate appeal or something mm-hmm. so that it could have more nationwide application. I don't have an answer to the question, but I am uncomfortable with this blanket notion of nationwide injunctions. And maybe it's the only outcome to have. I'm not saying it is, and my inclination is to the contrary for sure, but it's a difficult question. I don't know for sure what the answer is. Here's what Gorsuch said. He said, the real problem is the increasingly common practice of federal court judges ordering injunctions of, and I loved how he put this, nationwide, universal, or cosmic scope, adding that such orders raise, quote, serious questions about the scope of courts' equitable powers under Article Three of the Constitution. Now, with that in mind, we don't have enough time to get into it, but let's decide to do maybe an hour of what is Article Three all about. Yeah, Article Three is the section of the Constitution that grants the powers to the court system. And the question, and it simply says there shall be a Supreme Court and lower courts. So the question is, after you establish the lower courts, the trial courts, those in the federal system are known as the district courts. It's a different name in the state system here in Arkansas, incidentally. The district court is the trial court. So some trial court, we have a district court here in Little Rock. In fact, it's the eastern district of Arkansas. And a judge here says that someone complains about some federal law, the travel ban or Obamacare. And the judge says, that's illegal. I'm preventing the application of that law, he could, pursuant to this notion of nationwide injunctions, apply that to every application of that law across the country. He could stop it from being used entirely across the country. The question is, should we not at least consider the possibility that it needs to go to a court with a broader geographical jurisdiction than Greater Little Rock in the federal system generally? before such an order applies nationwide. Well, I'm going to go to my Ed Meese copy of the Constitution and see what Ed Meese says about what the founders and the writers of the Constitution were thinking when they wrote Article 3. So when we do it, I'll have that information as well. Terrific. All right, we just got done talking about uh, the Israel peace accord that the president's come up with. Here's what uh, Prime Minister, right? Prime Minister Netanyahu. uh, Netanyahu had to say about this president and his ideas. President Trump yesterday announced a historic Middle East peace plan promising a solution to end decades of Palestinian-Israeli conflicts. Uh, Joining us right now is the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who had that uh, emotional very uh, press conference yesterday. Mr. Prime Minister, thanks so much for getting up early for us. Uh, Tell us what about this plan made you sign off on it right away. I think the president has done something extraordinary. Uh, President Trump has brought forward a peace plan that enables us to make the deal of the century. It it gives Israel security. It gives the Palestinians national dignity. It allows us to move forward so that we can live together. It's a deal that we should both make, and we're prepared to make it. I think the president did something that is concrete, that can work, You know, he's a very practical person, and at the same time, he has a vision, and he put it through. I think we should all take this deal, and we should do it right away, and I call on the Palestinians. I know they have their objections, but I saw three Arab ambassadors there in that extraordinary ceremony that the president 
got to be there. That's amazing. I heard the statements from leading Arab countries who said to the Palestinians, you should negotiate under American auspices. Indeed, they should. We should all move to make this deal. Well, the Palestinians have already rejected it, as you know. So it'll be interesting to see how you bring them back into the conversations about it. But, Mr. Prime Minister, the part that I thought would be the most interesting to them is, as you know, in the Palestinian territories, the unemployment is uh, just startling. And under the president's plan, uh, there would be about $50 billion worth of investments over 10 years to create one million jobs. So really, isn't it a question for the Palestinians? Do you want to be unemployed and to, uh, get money from the state? Or how would you like a job? Yeah, that's one of the, the, the questions that the president put forward. He's offered an enormous, enormous vision of economic growth. There are Palestinian youngsters there, you know, who are unemployed, who don't have a future. He comes in and he says, we'll bring you right into the 21st century. Right way into the 21st century with jobs, with technology, with investments, with cooperation between Israel and the Palestinians and the surrounding states. It's a new vision, a realistic vision, based on, on practical steps for changing the Middle East, changing this, this uh, conflict that has not been solved for 100 years. And here comes President Trump, uh, you know, with his usual energy, cutting right to the chase uh, and asking people, to do some hard things, it's, uh, there are compromises mm -hmm. on both sides, but I'm ready to make those compromises. I'm ready to move forward on the president's deal to achieve peace. And the Palestinians, even though you're right, right now they reject it, but I think over time they'll see they'll never get a better deal, and this is the opportunity of a lifetime for Israel, for the Palestinians, and for peace. We should take President Trump's plan. Mr. Prime Minister, for the Jewish families in this country and for evangelicals and for many people of faith in, in our country, uh, pro-Israel is a stance that many of us, uh, many of us are pro-Israel. And when the president ran, he was he kept saying, I'm pro-Israel, pro-Israel, pro-Israel. And it really resonated with uh, the evangelicals here. Compared to past presidents that you've worked with, where does this president stand? President Trump has been the best friend that Israel has ever had in the White House. Look at what he's done in the mere three years that he's been in office. He recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital. He moved the American embassy there. He recognized Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Uh, he has uh, done this f fantastic peace plan that is very important for Israel's security, for the future of uh, prosperity and peace for Israel and its neighbors. And look what else he's done. He's faced up to Iran. He moved out of that Iranian, the dangerous Iran nuclear deal. He uh, took out just a few weeks ago the most dangerous terrorist in the world who killed thousands of Israeli, thousands of uh, Americans and so many innocent people. Uh, he has, uh, uh, you know, he's faced up to this regime, that, which is the most dangerous anti-Semitic government on the planet. And nobody did that before. He did that. And I think everyone in Israel recognizes that he's the best friend Israel has ever had. All right. There you go. Strong words from the prime minister. I don't think there can be any doubt about it. Of course, you read the liberal media. Well, Trump is trying to shore up Netanyahu and Netanyahu is trying to shore up Trump. The fact is, maybe neither one's trying to shore up the other. And both of them think each other have the right vision for their countries, and they support each other. Yeah, it's I, almost like a quid pro quo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't have 
the other gentleman's name that's running against Netanyahu. Benny Gantz. Okay. But he's agreed to this peace plan proposal as well. They see this as an opportunity, and rightly so. And, and you know, Netanyahu's right. Yeah, maybe they're saying no right now, but once they look at it a little bit and maybe sit down and talk about it some, they can be brought aboard. One could only hope. Got to get rid of all Hamas, though. One can only hope for both of them. That will be hard. Outcomes. That will be hard. I just can't believe Hamas won so many elections over there. It just stuns me, to be honest, because it's like well, it's I, like putting a gun to your head and and filling all the chambers and then spinning spinning it and playing Russian roulette. You're going to lose. You think all of those elections were free and fair elections? Dave? No, probably not. But a lot, some of them were, and the Maybe. people still put Hamas oh, yeah. in. Yeah. Of course, they probably figured if they didn't, Hamas would kill them. Maybe. That's possible. Show your purple finger. What can I say? That was a that was a great day in Iraq when that happened. Right, and even there, it's not a it's not a strong democracy. I, no. I, I don't call it a democracy yet. They got it. a long way to go for the simple reason. They have not been raised under Western thought. Right. That's huge. Right. That's huge. They may not ever want to embrace Western thought. Who knows? I, I, we know Islam won't. That That's not going to happen. All right. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Great you come to be in. Here, you got great stuff to talk about. Great to be here. All right. We'll let you get out of here. All right. God bless. Uh, check is in the mail. <laughs> All right, coming up, uh, if you missed my time with JR, that's coming back up in the next hour for you who are working, didn't get a chance to hear it. Friday, it's Matt Smith and everything else I've left it open because Lord knows what's going to happen in the impeachment trial. We'll have to find that out later tonight, and then we'll know tomorrow. But know that if they vote on whether to exonerate the president or not during my show. We'll be there live for you to hear every moment of it. All right, I'm out of here. We've got news coming up, and then we've got uh, J.R. and myself talking about politics in the state of Arkansas. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.